Welcome back to Daily Take, everyone. It's been a little while. It's been a couple weeks since my last episode, but here we are again. Welcome to episode five, uh, What is Black Lives Matter? Just as a disclaimer, I want to hit this right off the bat. I understand this is a really, really tough topic, and I may not get everything correct, but one thing I can promise you as you listen to this episode that I will do my absolute very best. I have a goal to not share a single opinion or stance or ideology about this organization that that has a global platform now, but just show you and read you and share with you the facts about this organization. And as part of that, I have my notes here. Nothing that I have on my notes is any typed personal opinion or any kind of uh, left or right leaning agenda. This is, I, and I promise you, you can ask for notes if you wanted. Um, This is all copied and pasted from the Black Lives Matter website, from their homepage, blacklivesmatter.com, and from personal accounts of the original organizers and from the one interview that I watched that was done Uh, for Patrice Kohlers, who was one of the original founders. So as you listen to this, realize that everything that I'm reading to you, everything that I'm describing to you, everything that I'm kind of trying to link together in a timeline, all is from one webpage and is all from the original founders of Black Lives Matter. And I felt like this would be a really important podcast because this is so prevalent in our life. This would be something that will be going on for the next months, maybe years, maybe the rest of our lives. And it's important to know the true facts. I, This is maybe the only opinion you'll hear from me on here, but I personally do not believe that a lot of credible information is being displayed right now on major news platforms. That could be Fox News, CNN, MSNBC, uh, any of those uh, large televised uh, news stations, because if it bleeds, it reads. If it bleeds, it leads. These are just, that's just a common journalist uh, practice. And it's not because of their faults. It's our faults as the, as the people going and reading these articles, we don't want to read about super calm, organized things. We like the thrill of reading things that are, are very opinionated. And we want to have, we want to build strong platforms of opinionated things. And that's not what I want to do with this, this, uh, this podcast. If you want to go find that, you can find that anywhere else uh, on any of those major news platforms. But here, I want to keep it strictly to the facts. I want it to be something where you can build your own opinion that could be different from mine. I'm totally okay with that. And I want it to be something where it can be an open dialogue. And it's just something that completely will educate you and allow you to have a strong and compassionate conversations with people using exactly what's going on because I feel that's why there's so many arguments today is because we're working with facts that that were built to be contradictory to the facts of the other side whoever that is in our lives and I want this to be a very open-ended and an open dia- of open-ended dialogue where we can come to resolution about things and I feel like that starts with 
going back to 2013 when hashtag Black Lives Matter was started, back to 2015 when the original Black Lives Matter organization was officially started. Going back to these places can help us have the best dialogue, the best conversations, and allow us to actually make solutions and actually come to a resolution of some sort. Because right now we're kind of all just running in circles, right? We're, We're not really making a lot of ground on any side if there even is one anymore. So this is it. What is Black Lives Matter? Not it, what it is today, but what is it? What was it? Ah, man, this is hard. I'll just have to jump into this and you'll, you'll see kind of where I'm coming from. But here we go. So we're going to hop all the way back to 2013. Man, what a different time that was. Feels like a millennia ago, but this was only, this was only seven years ago. Actually, we're going to go back even farther. We're going to go back to February 26, 2012. So... February 6, 2012, in Sanford, Florida, um, a man named George Zimmerman, many of you know this story, fatally shot uh, a 17-year-old African-American boy named Trayvon Martin. Now, this this caused huge outrage, of course, because a, a child was shot and killed in his own neighborhood, and he was not he was not shot by a police officer. This man, George Zimmerman, was a neighborhood watch coordinator for his gated community where he felt that Trayvon Martin was a suspicious character. And as he followed him, which it sounds like from the, the they have a recorded conversation with the police dispatcher. Um, he was not um, told to follow. He was not told to, to interact with Trayvon, but let the police come and handle the situation. George Zimmerman um, ended up be getting into an altercation with Trayvon Martin, who was unarmed. And during this physical altercation, George Zimmerman, who was uh, a carrying, uh, as in a loaded firearm, he was a carrier in Florida. He uh, opened fire and killed uh, Trayvon Martin in the streets of Stanford, Florida. So this goes to court. And after many, I believe it was many weeks of deliberation and different things being presented, it was found that George Zimmerman was innocent and acquitted of all charges and this caused a huge outrage the details for this have for me never gotten any clearer about what exactly happened because it was just george Zimmerman and trayvon martin at night but this caused a huge movement within the african-american community that felt that they were they were wronged in this situation so out of this this horrible tragedy comes three black women Alicia Garza, Patrice Kohlers, and Opal Tamote. Uh, I'm sorry, Opal, if I butchered your name. But these three women felt that this case was in, inappropriately done, that, the, that this murderer, uh, quote-unquote murderer, was, was wrongfully convicted and released, and that Trayvon Martin uh, was never, was never uh, he never found the justice that he deserved for his death. And so they started this hashtag called hashtag Black Lives Matter. So 2013, this was not an official organization. This was a movement among these three black women. And I'm going to go into the the lives of these three women. And I'm going to break down kind of where they came from and um, what they ended up creating and then what has culminated today, uh, seven, seven years later. So 2013, they started this hashtag. And um, so Alicia Garza was born in Oakland, California, 
January 4th, 1981. She grew up as Alicia Swartz, um, her maiden name, in Marin County. Um, her, she lived in a, in a mixed race household. So her father, her stepfather was Jewish and she had an African-American mother. So she identifies as Jewish. Um, her family ran antique businesses um, and uh, she had um, some ownership in that later in life and was assisted by, assisted by her younger brother, Joey. So as teens, where we kind of see Alicia going down this um, activism route in her life, she engaged in her first activism type thing in, in, uh, in high school, it sounds like, um, with sex education um, about birth control. She was trying to promote uh, better sex education, um, specifically about birth control. So she then goes and enrolls um, at uh, UC San Diego, the University of California, San Diego. She continued her activism there by uh, joining a student organization uh, that was calling for higher pay of the university's janitors, which I thought was kind of cool. I've never heard of that before, but go go those university janitors. Um, they definitely need to get paid more because they have horrible jobs probably with college students that just don't clean them up for themselves. But in her final year at college, she helped organize this first Women of Color Conference and a university-wide um, convention type thing held at uh, UC San Diego in 2002. So we see Alicia's life kind of moving in this activism direction. And in 2003, she meets a transgender man named Malachi Garza, hence the maiden name uh, being changed. And he uh, was there in like a community activism activity. And in 2004, Alicia comes out as queer to her family. And in 2008, she marries Malachi. So this is, this was the beginning of one of the three leaders. So the second leader that is brought up when we talk about Black Lives Matter is Patrice Kohlers. Patrice Kohlers, uh, has probably the, um, one of the largest influences that I've seen so far when, it, when we're talking about Black Lives Matter because a lot of the criticism of Black Lives Matter comes from an interview that she did back in 2015, but we'll get to that. So she was born in Los Angeles, California. She grew up in Pacoima, one of the places I served in my mission, actually, um, in a, which is a low-income neighborhood in the San Fernando Valley. So for, for those of you that don't know where that is, that's just north of Los Angeles. Um, if you know where, like, Burbank or... Uh, Granada Hills. This is where a lot of movies are filmed. They were in the San Fernando Valley. She grew up in one of those low-income neighborhoods there. She was an activist like right from the very beginning as a teenager by joining this bus riders union um, where she attended. Then this this like introduced her to the larger organization that started this bus riders union. Um, and she actually took a year-long organizing program led by Labor Community Strategy Center. Um, so this is where we see Patrice begin to develop her ability to organize and develop uh, activism groups. And she becomes very good at it, obviously. Kohler's recalls being forced from her own at 16 when she revealed she, as well as Alicia, is queer. And uh, she was involved with Jehovah's Witnesses as a child, which probably in large part led to her being kicked out of the house. And she left the church and... Um, developed this interest in Nigerian religious tradition called IFA, I-F-A. Um, you can look that up. I'm not really sure. I'm not super, uh, I'm not super educated on what that is, but essentially it incorporated like ritual into political protest. And she told an interview in 2015, quote, seeking spiritual spirituality had a lot to do with me trying to seek understanding about my conditions how these conditions shape me in my everyday life and how I understand them as part of a larger fight. 
a fight for my life, close quote. So this leaving the Jehovah's Witnesses, um, getting kicked out of the house, kind of introduced her and navigated her towards this religious tradition, this Nigerian religious tradition and ritual that then blended with political protest events. And then now we have the Patrice Kohlers today, who is an activism organizer. And then she went on later to receive a degree in religion and philosophy from UCLA and received a Master of Fine Arts from USC. So that is the second leader. So our third, third and final co-organizer of Black Lives Matter is Opal Tometi, the daughter of Nigerian immigrants. She was the oldest of three children, has two younger brothers. She grew up in Phoenix, Arizona, and now lives in Brooklyn. Uh, she received her Bachelor of Arts degree in history from the University of Arizona. Uh, she has a master's in communication, uh, which obviously helps in this current movement and advocacy. So she has this Bachelor of Arts degree in history, has a master's in communication and advocacy. And this is all from, uh, so that was from Uni University of Arizona and Arizona State University. And in 2016, she received an honorary doctorate of science degree from Clarkson University. Uh, Tometi is a former case manager for survivors of domestic violence and still provides community education on the issue. So you have now these three leaders, and they were all uh, moved by this by this uh, court case of Trayvon Martin, and they came together and created the hashtag, hashtag Black Lives Matter. So in the beginning, Black Lives Matter was just an, a response. This was a, um, a black-centered political will movement that's that's what it's described on as the on the black lives matter page um a building project to respond to this acquittal that they felt was was inappropriately done and it just so happens that not even i believe it's a year a year or so later uh, a young man named mike brown is killed in ferguson by a police officer and his case was also acquitted. Um, similar, uh, similar story where there was a response to a suspicious activity where an 18-year-old young man, Mike Brown, Michael Brown Jr., um, was shot and killed by an officer named Darren Wilson in the city of Ferguson, Missouri, which is a suburb of, of uh, St. Louis. So... Brown was with his friend, uh, Darian Johnson, and how the story kind of pans out is Wilson said, so this is the officer Wilson said, there was an altercation with Brown, and when Brown attacked Wilson in his police vehicle for control of Wilson's gun. So they're fighting for the gun, the gun is then fired at Brown, and this, uh, and then Johnson who is the friend claimed that Wilson initiated the conversation, the confrontation by grabbing Brown by the neck through the car, through his car window. So, and then he's threatening him and says, he's going to shoot him. So you have these two narratives now. So Trayvon Martin was by himself in this, but now we have, we have Dorian Johnson and we have Darian Wilson and they have counter stories. So at this point, both Wilson and Johnson state that Brown and Johnson fled with Wilson pursuing Brown shortly thereafter, Wilson stated that Brown stopped and charged him after a short pursuit. Johnson contradicted his account, stating that Brown 
turned around with his hands raised after Wilson shot um, at his back. So this is where we see um, hands up, don't shoot is from the Mike Brown um, situation with Darren Wilson. So this is where, again, the narrative is a little hazy, but the police officer says that, that Michael Brown uh, began an altercation with him. And we have Darian, Dorian Johnson saying that he raised his hands and he was, he said, don't shoot my hands up. Don't shoot. And um, he was shot and killed. So both stories end sadly the same way that he was shot and killed. And um, the entire altercation, Wilson fired a total of 12 bullets, including twice during the struggle in the car. So, this, another one of these um, situations, but this one ends a little differently where the acquittal then ignites this huge civil unrest in Ferguson. So this then, the hashtag is now being used on a, a large scale movement. And if you remember watching the news, this is back in 2014, excuse me, I, I believe it said 2015. This is August 9th, 2014. But do you, if you remember watching the news around this time, I remember this so vividly that Ferguson was put under martial law, which essentially means that the 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 rules and regulations under the Constitution are then replaced with essentially if the army is running your you're running your city, and there was long a long time of militarized response, and there was curfews and. Yeah, it was horrible. Tons of looting and burning down buildings, a lot of which was claimed to be from people outside of the town, people coming in to kind of take advantage of the situation and um, and, and just creating this huge altercation between police and the black community there. And it was horrible. It was so sad to watch that whole, that whole thing. And this is when Black Lives Matter transitions from being just a hashtag, just a response movement, to being an actual foundation. So um, I, I don't want to make that clear. So the hashtag itself, um, black, hashtag Black Lives Matter, is in fact just, um, that's it. It's a, it's a statement, right? Black Lives Matter, which of course, um, anyone's going to agree with you on that one. Any you know person that believes in, in human life, that black lives matter. Um, but the organization that I'm talking about today is the Black Lives Matter Foundation, Inc., um, which is a global organization, according to their website, in the United States, the United Kingdom, and Canada, uh, quote, whose mission is to eradicate white supremacy and build local power to intervene in violence afflicted on black communities by state, by state, the state and vigilantes, by combating and countering acts of violence, creating space for black imagination and innovation, and centering black joy, we are winning immediate improvements in our lives, close quote. So this, um, this Mike Brown incident uh, gives the momentum for this hashtag to become an actual foundation, an, uh, an incorporation. And um, this is where we see the Black Lives Matter of today. So like I said in the beginning, I, for the rest of this time, I... I use some other sources to help kind of describe the the founders and stuff, uh, their lives. But from here on out, there will only be two sources that I will be talking about. And you can go and fact check me about any of these things. Please, please, please. If you feel like I misrepresent any of this information or misread anything, um, please let me know. But the rest of this information will be coming from a interview 
uh, titled A Short History of Black Lives Matter, given by the Real News Network on July 22nd, 2015. And then everything else will be coming from blacklivesmatter.com. And where I I got most of my information from uh, for from Black Lives Matter is if you go to the page, which I invite all of you to do, it's uh, it's kind of it's kind of a, a disorganized page, but all the information is there. Um, if you go to uh, blacklivesmatter.com, you'll see their main logo, Black Lives Matter, and then about center, you'll see tabs at the top that say news about programs, global actions, watch and listen, and shop. And so I got all of my information from the About tab, and it has a little drop-down menu that says About Black Lives Matter, What We Believe, Six Years Strong, Her Story, Her Story, which is like history of the the female founders, and our co-founders. So um, all of that, my information is just copy and pasted from those, and I'm going to string them together for you to help you better understand what this organization is all about. So after 2013, we now have this hashtag. Um, and then after 2015, after the acquittal of, of the officer that killed Michael Brown, we have now a, an incorporation. We have a, we have a foundation called black lives matter. And that is the same organization that we're interacting with today on a national and local level. So I read you a little bit of their statement, um, earlier in the podcast, and this is what their goal is. So if you go to the, the page, you go to about, um, black Li- about black lives matter. If you scroll down, there is a, we are working. And this is what it says. We are working for a world where black lives are no longer systematically targeted for demise. So that is, that is what they're all about. They're working for a world where black lives are no longer systematically, which means that, that the structures of our government, that our lo- that our local organizations and, um, and things uh, uh, that create our neighborhoods and our social systems and economic systems and political systems, they are no longer targeting black individuals negatively. And so going back to um, some of the other things that they have on their page. So I want to read to you what this original organization believes. I, I, I feel like when we talk about Black Lives Matter, we have a many, many different things they feel like they focus on, but this is exactly just from their page. And this is what they, this is what they, this is what they believe. We acknowledge, this is a quote, quote, we acknowledge respect and celebrate differences and commonalities. We work vigorously for freedom and justice for black people and by extension, all people. We intentionally build and nurture a beloved community that is bonded together through a beautiful struggle that is restorative, not depleting. We are unapologetically black in our positioning. In affirming that black lives matter, we need not qualify our position to love and desire freedom and justice for ourselves is a prerequisite for wanting the same for others. We see ourselves as part of a global black community. We are aware of the different ways we are impacted or privileged as black people who exist in different parts of the world. We are guided by the fact that all black lives matter, regardless of actual or perceived sexual identity, gender identity, gender expression, economic status, ability, disability, religious beliefs or disbeliefs, immigration status or location. We make space for transgender brothers and sisters to participate and lead. We are self-reflexive. We do work required to dismantle cisgender privilege and uplift black trans folk, especially black trans women who continue to be disproportionately impacted by trans 
antagonistic violence. We build a space that affirms black women, um, is free from sexism, misogyny, and environments which men are centered. We practice empathy. We make spaces family-friendly and enable parents to fully participate with their children. We disrupt and the Western prescribed nuclear family structure requirement. Now, I want to stop there real quick. So I just read you this really long list. I wanted to read all of them to you because this is, this is their statement. This is what we believe. And if you go to the page, you can go up to the top about what we believe. And this is just a copy and paste exactly from what they say. And um, I want to stop just really quickly about the Western prescribed nuclear family. I've heard some things said that they don't want nuclear families or they don't want um, mom and dad situations. And that's not necessarily true. This says we disrupt. So I perceive that by saying we interject by saying that there is another way that we can do this. Um, this is not a way that all families can, not all families can reach this point. And they say we disrupt the Western prescribed nuclear family structure requirement by supporting each other as extended families and quote unquote villages that are collectively, that collectively care for one another. So this, that's another thing that they're, they're fighting for among these other things is um, extending families beyond just what's, uh, what they feel is required um, in this Western prescribed nuclear family structure. Um, we foster, so continuing on, we foster a queer affirming network. We cultivate an intergenerational and communal, communal network free of ageism. We embody and practice justice, liberation, and peace in our engagements with one another. So this is, this is what they believe. And you'll notice that there actually is nothing said about police brutality, um, about um, defunding the police in their original statements. They have um, seemed to have adopted that later on, but this is the original core, core efforts of Black Lives Matter as of 2015, if they haven't altered these at all since 2015. This is what I read today. And this is where I was really surprised to find that Black Lives Matter is not a centralized movement. To give you an example of a centralized movement would be the Martin Luther King Civil Rights Movement. We have the head, the speaker, who is Martin Luther King. And then he has his affiliates and branches of the same civil rights movement that organize the bus protests, um, sitting in on restaurants, and the peaceful protests and marches that we are very familiar with and we learn in our history classes. This is not like that. This is a decentralized movement. And it says on their page, um, quote, four years ago, what is known as the Black Lives Matter Global Network. So this is another, I guess, another version of Black Lives Matter Foundation Incorporated uh, began to organize. It started out as a chapter based member led organization whose mission was to build local power and to intervene when violence was afflicted on black communities by state and vigilantes. So. Again not a centralized movement. This was not supposed to be a centralized movement with Opal and Patrice and Alicia uh, running everything. This was member led organizations where within their own chapter in Salt Lake city and in Houston in New York, um, where they were attacking and defending people that were specifically affected, um, whatever the, whatever the term violence means for them on their black community by the state and vigilantes. So um, then it continues on to say, in the years since, we've committed to struggling together 
into imagining and creating a world free of anti-blackness where every black person has social, economic, and political power to thrive. So things that we hear about today, the police brutality, the defund the police, now falls under what I guess would be this violence afflicted upon black communities. So this becomes a current matter, but it was not an original matter. Um, this was not what the organization was built on. It was built on these um, core beliefs that they wanted to bring people together, specifically members of the black community, achieve rights for black women, achieve rights for black trans um, men and women, and to help all people, regardless of their disability or uh, sexual orientation or economic stance to achieve equality. So as a branch of that, as a kind of a, a spinoff of that comes police brutality and defunding the, defunding the police and things of that nature. And so um, early criticisms, this is starting in 2015 of Black Lives Matter, actually came from a in really interesting source. So in this interview that's kind of more recently resurfaced, the one I mentioned earlier, A Short History of Black Lives Matter, this was an interview done by Jared Ball from the Real News Network um, with just Patricia... Patrice Kohlers. So Patrice Kohlers um, is on this, uh, this uh, Skype interview and uh, Jared Ball brings up some criticism from a member, an original member of the Black Panther community who marched with Martin Luther King. His name is Jaleel Montaquim. So a little about uh, Jaleel. He is in prison or was in prison at the time. He was original Black Panther that joined the movement of, of Martin Luther King at age 18 um, after Martin Luther King was murdered. And he is in jail because in 1974, he killed two NYPD officers with a, with a friend, Herman Bell. So he, from jail, he's writing these, uh, this letter um, saying, I, I don't personally believe that um, Black Lives Matter the original organization in 2015, has a direction and he wanted a response to that. And so Jared Bell, in this interview, um, you can you can watch this interview. I can attach the link to um, uh, this podcast. Uh, it's about a 10-minute interview. It's not that long. And uh, he, says, he says he feels the same way and he wanted just to see kind of where Patrice his uh, stance was on this, this loving criticism, he says. And this was Patrice's answer. Quote, the first thing I think is that we actually do have an ideological frame. Myself and Alicia are particularly, are particular, in particular, are trained organizers. We are trained Marxists. We are super versed on sort of ideological theories, close quote. And um, this is where they received a lot of early backlash. And this is where they receive a lot of, um, current uh, backlash is on this idea that the original Black Lives Foundation or global network, depending on um, what you consider it, was is led by Marxist um, act activists. So a reason why this, this claim that they are Marxist, they're trained Marxists, like ruffled so many feathers and still continues to today, is the idea of Marxism. So Marxism is really hard to explain. I want to do a whole podcast on it actually later on, but this has um, caused a lot of, of discussion and argument throughout history, whether Marxism is in any way a 
valid form of thinking. So just to give you just a brief background, because I don't want to leave you totally hanging, Marxism is, uh, this is a quote from Encyclopedia Brainiatica, uh, quote, Marxism is a body of doctrine developed by Karl's, Karl Marx and, to a lesser extent, by Frederick Engels in the 19th century. It originally consisted of three related ideas, a philosophical anthropology, uh, a theory of history, and an economic and political program. There is also Marxism, as it has been understood in practice in various social move, socialist movements, particularly before 1914. Then there are so- Soviet Marxisms, as worked out by Vladimir Ilyich Lenin and modified by Joseph Stalin, which, under the name of Marxism-Leninism, became the doctrine of the Communist Party's set up after the Russian Revolution. Offshoots of this included Marxism as interpreted by anti-Stalinist Leonid Trotsky and his followers Mao Zedong's Chinese warrant of Marxism-Leninism and various Marxism in the developing world, close quote. So you can see that Marxism has been affiliated with world dictators that have a very negative connotation, especially those of Joseph Stalin and Mao. Um, if And again, I'll do probably another whole podcast on this about socialism, how that relates to communism, and how it's all related to Marxism. But this is what caused that initial fear in people is you have the, one of the original founders of Black Lives Matter openly coming out and saying that the reason why we feel like this this will not fizzle, that that we do have a course of direction is that we are trained Marxists and that with this Marxist ideologies, we are going to be able to hold this together. So from the beginning... Um, people were unsure of where this direction of this organization was going, but it held these core values that people liked and understood, and they wanted to support that. So now we jump to today, and we hear this term, defund the police and police brutality, thrown around a lot. And this is because of the, in the wake of George Floyd's death, which I, I, I figure that a lot of you will have a great understanding of what happened. There's the body cam footage of the police officers that was just released. And we have the, the wet, the phone camera, uh, video that we have all watched of the police officer kneeling on, uh, George Floyd for eight minutes in the streets. And this is the, and this is what sparked the revival, or I guess the continuation, a strong continuation of Black Lives Matter to what we to know as today. So to break down, I wanted to break down for you. So we've break, we've broken down how it started, what it was, um, I guess its original core values, um, what it isn't. Um, essential, it's not a centralized movement, and. I want to break down for you now what is defund the police and what is there, uh, how is that related to this police brutality? So a current adoption by the Black Lives Matter movement that was not highlighted originally in the core beliefs of Black Lives Matter is this idea of defunding the police. So in the wake of George Floyd's death, um, there is a, a growing consensus of people that believe that there is a constant problem of police inappropriately interacting with uh, individuals of any race and color, but specifically with black individuals, and that there is no reform that we haven't tried that will work now. And so defund the police does not mean abolish the police. Uh, I watched a a short video that you can watch as well on blacklivesmatter.com. If you just scroll down on their main page, it's going to be the one, two, three, the third thing down. It was posted July 6th of this year. And there's a short video of a woman explaining what that means. And it doesn't, 
um, mean that they're going to get rid of it completely. But what it does is they want, instead of a reform where police are essentially the same besides you, you change or manipulate a couple things. They want to, because it's an organization that is not working in their eyes, they want to take away funding. Right, So we live in a capitalist society where money generates and moves all things based on the overall performance of the organization. And this goes across the board. If I start this podcast and I want it to be a monetary thing, I want it to be something that supports me in a capitalist society, I need to be the best podcast there is to make the most money to have it support me. And if it doesn't, it, it fails. And so if you have an organization like the police that are being that is being run by taxes – their performance in their and their overall feeling of necessity of by those using their 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 resources and their services determines the the input of their money and so they are campaigning as one of their uh, one of their particular agendas to take a certain percentage of that money and relocate the money into other organizations they feel will better help those that are most commonly interacting with police, those with mental health issues, those with uh, low-income backgrounds, those of poor neighborhoods, um, those that are forced into certain lifestyles because of the lack of resources in their lives and education. So taking a certain percentage of this overall uh, police um, budget and then relocating it into local uh, local programs. And so now that's totally up to you what you perceive, how you perceive that helping or not. Um, if you want more information about the overarching, the statistics behind that, they have some statistics in their video. I haven't fact-checked any of that. Um, you can do that yourself. And I and I and that's the one thing about this podcast, guys. I really want you to do I want you to take this information that I give you and I want you to fact-check. I want you to dive deeper. I don't have enough time in the day to be able to break this all down for you or this podcast would be 15 hours long, you know? So go and watch that video. And that's now now that you know what they're saying that it is, um, this is from the original website. You can begin to build your own consensus and argument if you don't agree with it to better to have better conversations with people. And so this all comes from this idea that police in particular target or are more inclined to be to respond negatively to those of the African American community, and that they are more likely to incarcerate those of the African American community than any other community in the United States, specifically whites. And so, this defunding the police idea is was essentially introduced to combat that um, that statistically higher interaction between police and those of the African American community. So that's so that's what that's what that breakdown is. It's a lot simpler than maybe some other people have tried to explain. And now I just really quickly I want to go into why there is so many different ways that you've heard these arguments and these uh, these uh, agendas coming from Black Lives Matter. So why there are so many different opinions and ideas and alleged agendas that are being floated around all coming from what seems to be one central unit of Black Lives Matter, it all ties into maybe one of the the pros and cons of having a decentralized movement. Because this movement is so large and is built upon core values, 
but to help and enhance black lives in a community uh, based like what it says in that uh, in that statement that it's chapter based and member led with a mission to build local power, you're going to have because we're a, a big country with a lot of different states and a lot of different um, situations, we're going to have a lot of different local powers that are, that maybe will feel necessity to engage in different kinds of quote unquote violence inflicted on black communities based on their state and the quote unquote vigilantes within their area. So we have to be really careful because what may sound like it won't work or is a crazy baffling idea to apply to the entire United States may never have been proposed by the national international. um, I mean the international organization of black lives matter It may have instead been proposed by a local chapter or maybe even just a member or a group of members for their area or an idea maybe they wanted to pitch for the entire United States, but never was meant to be um, quoted as being an actual stance taken by the entire organization as a whole. So when we're talking with people, and we're asking and we're communicating what needs to be done, there's a, a discussion needs to be made on a national level and on a local level. This defund the police thing may not be applicable everywhere, but maybe some people feel like it's applicable in some areas. And if I remember correctly, New York has already begun to apply a form of defunding the NYPD in New York City um, and or in New York, the state, I, I mean. And I and then that may not work for North Dakota and that may not work for Montana. But overall, it's an overarching idea proposed by the Black Lives Matter organization, one that's been adopted by the entire international organization and can be adopted as part of the agenda for your local chapter and your member-led organizations for your community. And so... If you're hearing something from the mainstream media that this is what they believe, they as in uh, BLM, the entire international organization, you got to put a little asterisk next to it because because it's decentralized. That particular idea may be applied to only your local level, a state level, or it could have been an international level. But we have to fact check everything because this is such a heated topic. Good and bad ideas are being blended together into one narrative. And that's very clear from what I've been reading uh, from the page is that the original ideologies are not necessarily what's being communicated by large mainstream media and and sometimes even the members themselves. And so I invite all of you to end this podcast. I invite all of you to go to this page yourself, this one page, blacklivesmatter.com and develop your own personal opinion about what Black Lives Matter is and get your own daily take. This is my daily take on this, but you need to develop your own because you are a member of a community that, that may need change and, and probably does. And this is the way that we need to interact with this, this growing group that has agendas that we need to better understand. We need to understand, is this coming from the entire organization as a whole, or is this coming from local community members, or is this not even being said at all? And I appreciate all of you that listened to this today. I really hope this helped and you learned something new. Um, 
Good luck out there. Please stay safe.、Uh, be smart. Engage in wholesome conversation. Love thy neighbor. What do you got? Whatever you got to do. But I appreciate your listen and tune back in again soon for another another interesting topic. Thank、you